Hello, and welcome back to the Furry President Podcast. I am your furry president of time and space, Neil Fox, and with me as always is my partner in love and my partner in life, Link Labrador. Yes, hello, everyone. We are talking about a wonderful topic of American Civil War. Yay, Civil War! Okay, so, we are... No, I'm not actually in favor of Civil War. I was joking. So, we are talking about the potential of a future American Civil War. And we are talking about how to prevent it. So, let's recap what we were just talking about, okay? Black Lives Matter protests. Excellent idea. Idea. In principle, excellent idea. Because, think about how we got the civil rights movement. By protesting. Protest was one of the main ways that we got the civil rights movement. If they had not protested, if they had not done sit-ins, if they had not done um, walkouts and, you know, protests and all this, we would probably still have segregation. Yes. We would still have black restrooms and white restrooms, and that is not the world that we want to live in. So, we are thankful for those people going through all of that horrible things they went through. Imprisonment, torture, lynching. Oh my God, it was terrible. But it achieved a very noble goal. Now, what was one of the most important tenets of the civil rights movement? One of the most important tenets was non-violent protest. Yes. Right? Non-violence. Non-violence. Now, why was that important? Why was that important? Um, well, if you're going to commit violence against people who have the guns, yep, either you bring more guns than they have. Oh, God, no. Or, well, uh, that is a viable option of just kill them all. No, it is not a violent... You don't I'm kill not, the police. I'm not done. Jesus. Oh, my God. I'm not done. There's two avenues with violent protests. Oh, my God. Okay. Either it plays out like the American Civil War. Right. Where, at the end of the day, it's organized army fighting organized army. Right. And one of the contributing factors that led to the end of the Civil War was the fact that the generals on both sides realized mm-hmm. what? I'm trying to get the microphone closer to you. Oh, okay. Go ahead. Yes, one of the contributing factors that led to the end of the American Civil War and the surrender of the Confederate Army yep. was the simple fact of it was going to cost too many lives on both sides. Oh, God. Okay was going to cost too many lives on both sides, was one of the bigger contributing factors to the end of the Civil War. Of course it was. Absolutely. That was an important part of the end of the Civil War. Now, that is hopefully, hopefully not what is going to happen. Now, I cannot guarantee that because there are a lot of factors at play there are many potential futures. Yes. I have done the math on many of these potential futures, and unfortunately, there is not enough information 
to know exactly which potential future will happen. And so it is possible that we will enter an American Civil War. However, hopefully, everyone will come to their senses and use non-violent means of protest. Now, here is why this is so important, okay? Let me clarify for the listeners. Now, we've talked about this many times. I think even on the podcast a couple of times. But to clarify, the reason why it is so vitally important to use non-violent means of protest is because the government has the power to use violence legally. I, I, before we started recording, I used, a, an, I used an analogy. Uh, imagine that you are trying to stop a tiger, and all you have is a little pocket knife, like a little tiny one-inch pocket knife, a little, little baby pocket knife, and you're poking the tiger with the pocket knife. That is, that is a, an analogy to poking the police with, you know, putting graffiti on the police station or whatever. Like, that is the amount of damage. damage. That's the amount of violence that a, a, a regular citizen could perpetrate. And then the tiger is the power of the police. Keep in mind that if there is civil unrest, they can call in the National Fucking Guard. They can call in the Army. They yes. can call in the Air Force. Mm-hmm. That is so much power to commit so much violence that you might as well not even try. There is no reason to even try to use violence against the government because they have so much power. Let's now, just put it this way. If you're going to commit that level of violence against the United States government, you need to be committed 150 fucking percent. You need to make the you need to make the stakes so high that American soldiers will not follow the orders of the president, and at that point, you're forcing the hand of the United States military to depose and remove the president for committing unlawful acts against the American citizens. Yes, and and again, that is so extreme of an example that there is, and I, I am, let me be clear, I am not saying there is no situation in which it is justified to use violence against the government. Think about what Saul Linsky said in his book. For example, if you are living in Nazi Germany, the only thing you can do, if you are living in North Korea today, the only thing you can do is violent protest because you have no other way of getting your message across. If you even speak up, if you even speak about you know, Kim Jong-un is a fucking idiot and a dictator. If you say that and, a cit- and a, you're a citizen of North Korea, you will be shot. If you are a citizen of the United States and you say the president, Donald Trump, the president, Joe Biden, is a stupid idiot and he deserves to be voted out of office, you have the right to say that. And since you have the right to say that and since words are so powerful, Use that strategy first. Yes. I'm not saying there is no situation where violence is necessary. I am saying that we have so many options of non-violent, non-destructive protest. Uh-huh. For example, 
For example, John fucking McCain, God bless you, sir. I wish he were still alive. What an American hero. I disagreed with him on many things. But the fact that he voted against repealing the American Health Care Act, uh, the ACA, the fact that he voted against repealing it and kept that law in place, goddamn, he is a fucking American hero. And do you know one of the reasons that he mentioned, from what I remember, I'd have to look up the exact story, but from what I remember, one of the reasons why he said that he voted against repeal, despite the fact that almost every single one of his Republican colleagues voted for repeal. Do you know why? Uh, because he was convinced through nonviolent means. He was convinced through nonviolent protest. Uh-huh. There were people protesting outside his congressional office. There were disabled people, people in wheelchairs, people in stretchers outside his office that said, please, Mr. McCain, please don't take away my health care. I have been able to afford health care for the first time in my fucking life. Please don't do this. Mr. McCain, I am begging you. And from what I remember, he said that was convincing to him. And of course it was. How can a person, how could a person look their constituent in the eye? He was from what, Arizona? And from what I understand, there were people from his home district. They're protesting. How could he look a constituent in the eye and say, I'm going to take away your health care. You, Mr. Paralyzed Person in the Wheelchair. You, Madam, who needs chemotherapy and has no hair because you have severe cancer. Oh, of course I'm going to take away your fucking health care, you fucking moron. How could he say that? And how could all of his Republican colleagues say that? And most of his Republican colleagues did say that, despite the fact that there were protests outside of their office. And yet, goddamn fucking John McCain, God bless you, sir, you did the right thing. Again, I disagree with John McCain on many, many issues, especially war. Oh my god. Well, wasn't John McCain also a uh, Purple Heart Medal winner? I think so. I'd, I'd have to look it up. Uh, that's... <laughs> but, like, he, he was one of the biggest proponents of the U.S. being the world's police force. He was one of the reasons why we had, we got the movie Team America World Police because John McCain advocated for many, many, many years of, you know, oh, we're, we're just going to go in and make sure that the people are saved and protect, you know, democracy and whatever, all this bullshit. And, you know, he had his convictions. I think he was wrong, but that's okay. In a democracy, in a democracy, you need disagreement. You need people who have differing opinions. And then you need to go into the public forum. Yes. And discuss the ideas. The fact. The fact. Oh, I get so pumped up about this. I know you do. The fact that we are at a point in this nation's history where we can't even talk to each other, where we can't even debate the other side, quote-unquote. I hate that. I hate it. Myself, I hate it as well. Primarily because how the hell are you supposed to have a reasonable conversation if you get so angry over, oh, you can't talk about that. You can't talk about that at work. You can't talk about that at work. You can't talk about wages at work. 
How dare you talk about how much money the other person's making? That's unfair. That's rude. As a manager, I am personally offended. If I'm you... going to fire you for talking about your wages with your coworkers. Julie? Fuck off. You can't. Julie, you legally can't do that. Yes, and for, I will take your ass to court. For any one of you, for any person listening to this, now, in the future, in 10,000 years, assuming that the Constitution is not burnt to the ground, please talk to your co-workers about your wages. You will find out if your company that you work for is paying you fairly. And there have been yes. hundreds, hundreds of stories thousands of stories of don't stay silent people there have been thousands of stories that I, many of which i've read on places like reddit and in the business books that i studied in school where you know you might have a female doctor for example a, a doctor a person who deserves to be paid very well for their work and they go to their male counterparts and they say, hey, uh, by the way, you know, we do the exact same job. We're both doctors in the emergency room, let's yep. say. And uh, their male co-worker is being paid 50% more. 50% for the exact same job. I got another one for you. Even simpler than doctors. Here's one that may hit home to you guys. Sure. Say you work middle income and you're working at Goodwill. Sure. Uh, your CEO makes about eight hundred thousand dollars a year. Yeah. Uh, your vice presidents typically make two to three hundred thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Do you guys next time talk to each other? Yes. You're making what? Twelve, thirteen bucks an hour. If you're a disabled person, maybe you're making a dollar an hour? Yes. Jesus. A dollar an hour. A dollar. One dollar. One dollar an hour. So that a CEO can get paid 800,000. That should be fucking criminal. Demand better. Demand more. Absolutely. And here's the thing. Myself, I am in a unique position of, I'm entering I most likely will be entering the CEO world. Absolutely. And I'll have my pick of whatever job I want. Now, if I happen to work on work as a C-level executive for Goodwill, you know what I'm going to advocate for? What's that? Pay raises for my department. Absolutely. Yes. And here, here's another. Because you know what? They fucking deserve it. You know how much they mo- do. you know how much money a single department store makes? Tell me. Uh, roughly about two million a year. So and 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 so you're saying that an average Goodwill location yes makes two million dollars a year. Yeah. How many employees do they typically have, Trey? About twenty, maybe twenty-five, depending on how many people they have. Twenty to twenty-five, okay. Yep. And uh, if they're making around twelve dollars an hour, that would be somewhere around twenty to thirty thousand a year, correct? Yep. Okay. And you said about twenty employees, is that right? Yep. So, twenty times twenty thousand is four hundred thousand. Uh huh. On a store that makes two million. Yes. That is not right. No. So. One thing that I will advocate for, if I get the position, is pay raises for everybody. 
bring it, bring everyone up to uh, the price of inflation. Yep. Pay raises pegged to inflation. Peg, pay raises pegged to inflation, and here's why: you'll have much happier employees. Yes. They'll be much more willing to work. Yes, absolutely, they will. And oh, it justifies my existence in the company at that point. Well, and see, here's the thing. When you are, and we we have so much to talk about where Saul Alinsky is concerned, but when you have a position of power, you have the opportunity, uh, you have the opportunity to change things for the better. So for example, let's say yeah, oh, it says keep left at the fork, okay? So there'll be a fork in just a moment, and you're going to keep left, okay? Right? You see that? So you're not going to yep. take the exit, okay? I see it, but I'm just making sure. I appreciate it. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Thank you for helping me navigate the spaghetti of uh, Washington. Not a problem. Uh, the spaghetti is on the floor. The spaghetti is uh, step, step, been stepped on by several elephants. It's all squished and ground into the floor, and we're just trying to scrape it up and clean it up for the American people. Uh, so, these roads are an exercise in patience, and you might need a phys- and you probably need an engineering degree to figure out what the hell's going on. <laughs> okay, so, let's, let's bring it back to the topic of the episode, okay? Yes. So, the topic of the episode is protest. Yes. The topic of the episode is how to... Well, well here, here's a good title for the episode, okay? How do you create effective change? How do you create positive change? Because there are many ways that you could create change. We've talked about some of them. You could... I, I, please do not. I, I'm, crea- I'm giving an example for the sake of comparison. I am not saying to do this. Please, do not take this out of context. Okay. You could, in theory, if you have 400 people working at a Walmart, they could all show up with guns and say, give us pay raises or we will shoot you. Uh Uh-huh. You could, in theory, do that. Please do not. Please do not do that. That would not be effective. You would just be fired and the police would be called and the National Guard or whatever. That would not get anything done. However... What is an effective way of change? So, you're talking about working as an executive, and we'll use Goodwill as an example, because they are, a, they are an example of an organization that needs to change. Yes. Okay? So here's, here's an example of ways that you can affect change at Goodwill. Okay? Option number one. You, and hopefully many of your colleagues, who you can organize together. You know, let's, let's say that you get an executive position. Okay? Yeah. Not not even a CEO position. Just, you know, a, one of the executives overseeing 10 Goodwill locations, for example. Yeah. Okay? Uh, let's say that then you go to all of your colleagues at the same level of the company and you organize a group. You could call it a labor union if you want. You don't have to. You might should call it a labor union just because it... Uh, because... It affords you a lot more protections under the law. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I am not a huge fan of unions personally. I just think that 
it might be helpful just because there are a lot of protections for labor organizing if you call it a labor union, okay? But for the sake of argument, we're not going to say we're doing that, okay? You just go to a bunch of... Uh, uh, here, let me... I, I'm getting ahead of myself, okay? Let me, let me reel it back just a little bit, okay? Yep. So, let's assume for the sake of argument that you get a position as an executive at Goodwill, okay? Yep. And then your team was going to hire me to advise you as to how you can do effective change, okay? Okay. So, you, you organize together 20 people at the same level of Goodwill, okay? Yes. So let's say that uh, that this would be 20 people, each overseeing about 10 stores. So you're talking about about 200 stores. Yes. Okay. So this would be a couple of states worth of goodwill. Okay. Maybe yes. for the sake of argument, we'll say all of the different stores in the Northern New England branch of goodwill. Yes. Okay. Yep. So this is our example. Okay. You've gotten together a couple dozen people. It's enough people that you're actually, uh, you're covering a wide geographic area, okay? So it's not just one person from here, one person from here, one person from here. Let's say you've gotten 95% of the people at this level, okay? So, this is the first step of organizing, okay? You have to get enough people from that level of employee management or employee service to be able to effect change. Yes. Okay? So, uh, I've listened to a couple of different um, podcasts and stuff about labor organizing and uh, Saul Alinsky and Rules for Rulers and all of this. So, what is the power base for this level of management? Okay? So, you're an executive. You're overseeing Goodwills. Yep. You have managers under you, and yep. then you have employees under that, and then above you, you have the CEOs and the like, the uh, the top level management. So, what is your power base in that scenario? Who keeps you in that job? One, the employees. Yep. The employees' performance keeps me in that job because Absolutely. without employees, I have no reason to be there. Correct. The managers keep me in that job because. Again, if they don't exist, I don't have a reason to be there. Exactly. Yep. Those are the two biggest. And then from there, I'll be directly communicating with the people that are above me. Yep. They are also influentials. Yes. That I need to keep happy. Now, the employees below me are the interchangeables. Maybe. Now, you're using terms from rules for rulers that the audience may not be familiar with. So, influentials... So, so let, let's clarify some of these terms. Now, it's been a while since I read rules for rulers. I should read it again. But, uh, when you're talking about keys to power, okay? Yep. There are different keys to power depending on what type of power that you have. Mm -hmm. So, in a dictatorship, the keys to power are... The people around you, the oligarchs, the mayors, the governors, those are the people that decide whether or not you get to stay the dictator or not. Yeah. Okay? Those would be influentials. Okay? Yes. People with power. Interchangeables, quote unquote, 
are uh, in a democracy, for example, they would be the voters. So it's in a democracy, it doesn't really matter which people in the populace vote for you because each vote counts for the same amount of influence. Yes. In a democracy, the important part is influencing the interchangeables and creating positive... Uh, creating... using the power of your treasury to incentivize them voting for you. Take, for example, farming. We have more farmland than we know what to do with. Absolutely, we do. But we don't have nearly as many farmers as you think we do. Oh my god. We have fewer... That... Oh, I'm so sorry. We, we are just passing by a building that says National Rifle Association. So that is the headquarters of the NRA. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead, my dear. I just, I had to stand in awe. We are passing by the National Rifle Association. Uh, fuck them, by the way. Uh, they have done so much to hurt this country, as have many other lobbying organizations. Yes. Now, there are many things that we agree on. There are many things we disagree on. Okay, let me... So, anyway, go ahead. Getting back to what I was saying... Yes. So, farmers. There aren't nearly as many farmers as you think that they are, but they get stupid amounts of incentives. Because. 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 They create the food. If they aren't incentivized to create food, we all starve to death. Correct. So there are a couple of, if if we're talking about farmers as a voting block specifically, there are many different keys that go into it. So one is if the U.S. was ever invaded or if the U.S. was ever blockaded, we have to be able to produce our own food. Yes. So we can't uh, safely, For it is, it is a matter of national security that we have to have local production of food, despite the fact that it would be cheaper to buy just all of our food from Brazil and Mexico and whatever. It would be cheaper to do that. But it is important that if, you know, a hundred years in the future, you know, goddamn, I hope this never happens, but if every country in the world decided to blockade the United States and make sure that no food gets into the United States and every ship that's trying to bring food to the United States got sunk by submarines, if something like that happened, we have to be able to produce our own food or everyone will starve to death. Yeah. Now, two, there are also many government programs to give people food. So, SNAP benefits, previously called food stamps, now they're called SNAP benefits, whatever, food stamps is what everybody knows it as. Uh, SNAP benefits, WIC benefits, W-I-C, women and infant and children benefits. Yep. WIC benefits are things like peanut butter, rice, uh, just very basic food staples to make sure that uh, women, infants, and children have enough food that the infant and child brains are able to develop properly. Yeah. They have additional food benefits in addition to SNAP benefits to make sure that women, infants, and children have enough calories for their brains to develop properly. Because if, you know, and 
you know, is so sad when you see this happen, but if we had, you know, a situation like in the Democratic Republic of Congo where half of the children have stunted growth because they do not have enough food, then that causes many, 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 many problems down the line. And so, there is another way that farmers are incentivized. So, much of the food that the farmers grow is purchased by the government. Okay? So, purchased by the government for SNAP, purchased by the government for WIC, purchased by the government for schools, purchased by the government for government-funded colleges. So, purchased by the government for the military. Yes. So, the, the, the farmers as a voting block have a special category of uh, different things that are important to, the, to that voting block and different things that are important to the government from that voting block. Okay? Yes. And as you have said in the past, I, I'm, I don't think it was on the podcast specifically, there is a very good reason that the government wants to keep the farmers happy because they vote as a block, okay? Now, why do they vote as a block? Okay, what is the average voter? Older, white, generally speaking, from either a rural area, if they are Republican, or a city area, if they are a Democrat. Most farmers live in a rural area. Obviously, because they have to be able to buy enough land to grow crops. Therefore, they are an enormous voting block for the Republican Party. Most farmers, from what I understand, I'd have to look up the statistics, but most farmers fit into that demographic precisely. Okay? Older, probably around the age of 45 to 65, I would guess. Whiter. Most people who own land in the United States are white. Unfortunately, I wish it were more equal. I wish that it were not distributed so insanely concentrated in the white demographic, but that is the way that the world is. Well, I have a question. Absolutely. What mechanisms and what... What could you and I do to help the people of color get a larger foothold in owning property, owning land. I have, walking around D.C. alone, I have seen many individuals of color doing things such as sitting there and selling bottles of water to make money. Yes. Again, how could we help them? Absolutely. So, this is an excellent question. So, let me answer your question real quick, okay? Yeah. So there are many different ways that I, as the president, would like to encourage land and property ownership and business ownership from demographics of people that are not yet, uh, uh, that uh, the business and property ownership is less common among those demographics, okay? So there are many ways that I want to do this, okay? One way is education. Education, education, education. Because, for example, we'll we'll give one simple, easy, concrete example. Now, this is 
only one of about a thousand different ideas that we could do. But let me give you an example, okay? Bench, our accounting company that we use personally. Yep. We could call up the, the CEO, bring him on the podcast, or him or her, I don't know if it's a he or she, most business owners are male, but I could be wrong. Maybe it's a she, maybe it's an unbinary person. I don't know. I am. I, I made an assumption in my mind based on demographics. I apologize. I would bring him or her on the podcast and I would say, okay, Mr. or Ms. CEO, what would you like to tell the small business owners of America who on average spend $1,000 per month on accounting? go and here's what they would say well our company can spend can help you for about $500 a month we can do all of your accounting for you and we can increase the amount of accounting services that we do at no additional charge so for a normal business owner in America if they suddenly double their business their accounting costs would double as well because they're paying by the hour. Whereas if they use Bench, if their business doubles, their accounting cost does not double. Yes. So that would mean that they could double their business and also increase their profits by more than if they were using a regular accounting service, Uh, an average accounting service in America, okay? So that is one simple, easy, concrete example of how I want to encourage people to start businesses and run businesses efficiently. Now, I just mentioned bringing them on the podcast. Now, what if it was not the podcast as it is now? What if it was the fucking Oval Office, okay? What if we brought the CEO of Bench into the Oval Office and we said, Talk to the American people about what you can do for them. And imagine 30 million people watching. And we and we put out a text message using the presidential texting service, which presidents have not used. And we say, hey, if you're a business owner, check out what we're talking about on the show tonight. And here's a link to bench.com. A referral link a referral link and we talk with bench beforehand and we say okay so we're going to send out your link to 300 million people for every person that signs up we would like 20 percent to go to the federal treasury do you think that sooner before we get to the white house of course we can but think about how much money that would make for the treasury that would be billions of dollars. Think of how many votes we could get Yes, if we did it before we get to the White House. Because, here's a thought, mm-hmm. yep. if we can get on a personal level with people before we run for president, absolutely, we have six years to get on a personal level with the nation. Absolutely we do. We start with, I keep saying this, we start with the local area. We work with yes. the local area. And then... Absolutely. The local area. Then we build our power base. Yes. And then we... And then... That's the first ring. Then mm-hmm. the second ring. Yes. And then we just keep working our way outward. 
Absolutely. And we've created a trail of leadership. Absolutely. Building. Yep. Economics. Yep. You know that abandoned building that we were walking by? Sure. And those uh, people of color were sitting out front? Sure. What if we managed to pull together? Oh, what if... What if we managed to convince them to get 20 of their friends, mm-hmm. and then, ever, and then you know, that becomes a small community center. Absolutely. That, Make it into a community center. Make it into a place where people can come and learn. Well, put, together a, put together a maker space, but don't call it a maker space. Call it a community space. So it's not just for, you know, people who own 3D printers. <laughs> Make it a place for people who want to teach want to learn, want to learn how to do their taxes. For example, it is shocking to me, shocking, that in a country as rich, as a, in a country as wealthy as the, in the, as the United States, that we have several percent of the population who cannot read. Mm-hmm. Cannot read. Yeah, you're that getting is off topic. disgraceful. You're getting into a tangent. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. You're getting off topic. Yep. You're getting yep. into yep. a yep. tangent. Yep. Yep. What I am sorry. What I am saying is, we make friends with these people of color, and we explain Absolutely. our idea Absolutely. to them, and we get them on board. Well, and then and this and then sorry, we fund and then we turn around and we help fund their efforts. Absolutely. And the selling place? water. I'm not done. Sorry. Go ahead. With the goal of buying that. Abandoned building and turning it into a community center. Sure. That we'll all already have the staffing for. We'll already have, what, 30 people contributing to the purchase. Absolutely. And then they have a vested interest. They Absolutely. have revitalized, they have revitalized one part of their community. Yes. Give Absolutely. them purpose. And here is how we start. Okay. Do you remember? where we are going tomorrow. We are going to the meeting of the local parent-teacher association. Uh, or a parent, uh, it's it's a parent-led organization for education in Washington, D.C. Yeah. We are going to go to this location tomorrow and speak with the people who are there. Mm-hmm. We are going to learn from them. And let me point out, and again, it is, it is not racist to have eyeballs. Darling, did you notice that picture from this organization that was on their website and on the uh, on the bus that we were riding? Most of the people in that picture were people of color. So this would be an excellent way for us to reach the people that we are looking to reach because it is an organization of 5,000 people with the sole purpose of making better education for the children of Washington, D.C. That is the ideal place for us to start our efforts. And we already have a contact with one of the teachers of journalism in D.C., remember? Yes. So we can go to her and we can learn from her. We can go to the Parent Teacher Association and learn from them. And we will do Saul Alinsky's tactics step by step. We go into the community and we learn from them. We do not impose what we want to do. We say, how can we help 
you with your goals. How can we help? And if you don't want our help, that's not a problem. We will okay. go to the next I association. I think it's time for a commercial break. Okay, time for a commercial break. Thank you so much for listening, everyone, and we will be right back after this commercial break. <laughs> 